Hello, and welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about ungrateful, super-powered, time-traveling children so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read X-Men Executioner Song by various authors and artists. Joining us to discuss this Marvel crossover comics event is Megan, professional pop culture ruiner. Hello, Megan. Hey, how are you guys doing? Pretty excellent. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. <laughs> Kate, how are you? I'm pretty excited to uh, to dive into this. Excellent. I actually, so, so I started reading X-Men comics in the 90s. That was when the 90s cartoon was on. My dad was reading them. So I would take his comics and read them. So this was really kind of like coming home for me. <laughs> this was strange for me to, this was strange for me to read because um, obviously if you've listened to the podcast before, you've probably gathered that Kate and I both love X-Men. And when I was a kid, I, I did love the 90s X-Men comic, or I mean cartoon, but that was really my introduction to X-Men was just the cartoon. And I'm not totally sure if I understood that there were X-Men comics. Like, I think for a long time, to me, it was just kind of another Saturday morning cartoon that was on, like, you know, with Eek the Cat and whatever, and I didn't realize it was this whole other thing for, I think, probably a pretty long time. So, and then, I I mean, I've read a lot of X-Men comics since then, and I've gone back and read some of, like, the 80s Chris Claremont stuff, but I, I've ne- definitely had never read this before, and I don't think I've really sought out very much of this early 90s stuff that the in retrospect, that the cartoon was so clearly based on. Like, they're wearing their cartoon outfits here. And so I was like, oh, there's, they're in a book like us. That's cool. <laughs> We're no Jay and Miles, and you should be listening to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men if you care at all about X-Men comics. But just, like, a brief recap to kind of place this in its time period. At this point in comics history, X-Men was, like, the biggest thing in the world, There were a bazillion X books that were coming out every month, some of them double shipping, meaning they were coming out every two weeks instead of once a month. X-Men were plastered on everything. You could get any sort of merchandise at all with the X-Men characters on it. It it was like this mega force in the world. X-Men was everywhere. It was it's kind of it was kind of akin to the way that Marvel cinematic universe things are everywhere now it it was almost like that with x-men comics at this point in time you could not escape them and the stories were not good they did (laughs) not match up to the ubiquity of them it was just like the drawings were dudes with eight bazillion muscles if you've ever seen like the jokes about like the Rob Liefeld drawings that was basically what it was like dudes with a gazillion muscles and guns as big as small countries ladies with super tiny waists and huge breasts who stood in like bizarre twisted fashion to show off all of their body at once giant hair (laughs) everybody had like seven fanny packs yes pouches (laughs) everywhere and like bright neon colored everything, it it was it was what a time to be alive and reading comics. <laughs> it was or watching Saturday the, morning cartoons. Yes. All the women looked like they walked right out of a gem concert. 
Yeah. All the men looked like they had just watched uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding documentary and like made that their personal their personal Bible. <laughs> it's very in that sense I do think it was odd because so having been a big fan of the cartoon when I was a kid and then dipping into this and seeing like to me to me cable is like the the image of a character where if in the cartoon it was people who were like fun and sassy and then cable is just like a Mr. Grim Dark. Mm-hmm. Like it's just gruff and his his mutant power for most of the time I just thought was like being a slab of beef. And then you start <laughs> to figure out, oh, he has other things going on, but mostly he just kind of stands around and is hulking and massive. Yeah, Cable legit, if he had green skin, I would buy him as just, oh, he's a Hulk. Like, he just, Mm -hmm. like, the other guys, like, I mean, they just look super buff. Yeah, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, but Cable looks enormous. And it... Like, even his, just his chin and his head is enormous. And that, I don't think, is really his mutant power. I think he's just, like, a big guy (laughs) who also can absorb energy and shoot guns. Yes. But mainly guns and time travel. <laughs> guns and time travel. It's um, it, it's this is like an era that is pretty universally reviled by most people who like comics. You know, like a lot of like, oh, you know, don't don't judge comics by the '90s. Like that was all garbage. Like it's so much better now, and and it is. It is technically better now, storyline wise, misogyny wise. There are lots of ways that it's better now. That being said. (laughs) (laughs) That said, there's a lot to like here. If you can find it. (laughs) Under the... So much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, this is... It's a crossover event between X-Men and X-Factor. Right? And X-Force. And X-Force. And And two different different X-Men books, because at that point in the 90s, X-Men were so big that even the core X-Men team was split into two teams, the blue team and the gold team, and the gold team's adventures were chronicled in Uncanny X-Men, and the blue team's uh, adventures were chronicled in Adjectiveless X-Men, and in theory, they were like, you could read one without reading the other, but in actuality there was a lot of members going back and forth between the two groups and constantly talking about like they would arrive and be like oh i just got back from this thing that you may or may not know what they're talking about but i found myself a lot of those situations just being like substituting that in my head like oh they just got back from vacation or like it didn't matter where they were coming from or why they were only now arriving on the scene it's just like okay they're, you're here now whatever let's let's bring it up to speed yeah um, so, so I'm familiar with the X-Men, and then, like, from listening to the podcast, Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, which Kate mentioned earlier, and just from, like, being around in the comics internet-ish, I was sort of aware of X-Factor and X-Force, but not really. Like, I, so, pretty often in this comic, like, I don't really know who these people are, like, I've heard this name before, but these characters are both drawn to look kind of alike, and I don't really understand, so... I'm kind of just going to, like, skim this until I get back to a character that I know. Oh, mm-hmm. two pages later, here's Wolverine. Great. Yeah, it was um, a lot of the characters in X-Factor in particular. Well, in both. In X-Force, a lot of the characters were first seen in the New Mutants book that was originated by um, Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson back in the 80s. And for X-Factor, 
a lot of those characters I was very familiar with because uh, Peter David, who was writing X-Factor during this crossover, continued to write X-Factor for a very long time. And I read pretty much all of X-Factor Volume 2, which started in like the mid-2000s and is just a joy of a book. And a lot of the roster stays the same um, in, in this version. So, so basically, here are, the, here are the three X teams that we have right now. We have the X-Men, who are the ones who you probably know about, who live at a school that is supposed to be for gifted youngsters, and really they're a paramilitary strike force <laughs> operating outside of the law in the evenings, outside of an underground base. And the, t- the X-Men Between team... Classes. <laughs> the X-Men team or teams that are in this book are pretty much the ones from the cartoon. You know, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, Wolverine, Gambit, Beast, Jubilee, hanging out as a weird teenager. Yeah. So then X-Factor is a government-run mutant team that um, is funded by the government and they, like, are officially sanctioned and, like, operate super above the board they're on kind of good terms with X-Men, even though X-Men are, you know, technically not doing totally legal things because of the greater good and all that. X-Force at this point is a group of kids who are the former New Mutants who are kind of on the lam because they don't believe that the way to reach, you know, mutant mutants not being having the shit beaten out of them all the time is through the methods of Xavier or the government. So they're operating as outlaws. The team at this point is mostly made up of former new mutants. Cable is kind of their mentor and they are not on good terms with either of the other teams. Spoiler alert. You won't care about either of those two teams. When it, when just those two teams are on screen and the, what I think it was like the real X-Men are not there. You will not care what's happening. Unless you actually care about those characters like I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I care a little I, bit more. I didn't, I care a little bit more about like, uh, Havoc and Lorna. Cause I know them. I don't really know the X-Force kids that much. But even then, even if you care about them, I mean, so we're going to get into this where, so all the X-Men you get a little glimpse into their like lives and relationships and like that's what I love about Marvel Comics is like in between fights you witness people having a domestic squabble or something but it seems like for the other two teams all they do is occasionally meet up and fight each other and then separate until one finds the other again and then they fight again so that wasn't super exciting for me but I can't speak of how it is in general. I do think in this book it did focus more on the personal drama of the X-Men. And I agree. That's, like, what I care about way more than the fighting. And that was all the things that I liked about this. It was just like, okay, but whatever. But let's just show them grocery shopping for a while. Or, (laughs) (laughs) oh, of course Wolverine wanted them to pick up pork rinds for him. That's gross, (laughs) but amazing. So let's dive into the plot, as it were, of this. Um, We'll warn you in advance, if you've never read an X-Men comic before and are unfamiliar with the general jokes about X-Men continuity, there are things in this that will make no sense and be impossible for you to follow. I've been reading X-Men comics for like 20 years and I can't follow them half the time. Like, that is just... That is, is just, there's time travel, there's secret children from the future. There's there's clones. who have been retconned to be related to other people, but they don't know it yet. It's it's a mess. 
There's I'm body sorry. doubles also, which makes that super confusing, mm-hmm. where like anyone seemingly can look like anyone else. And so you'll witness an event, and then it'll be like, just kidding, that wasn't actually what happened. So if you genuinely do want to understand the plot of this, I would recommend just like read the Wikipedia or uncannyxmen.net plot summary. And we'll link to that if you just want the plot. Or, and or, listen to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, because they are a lot better at actually explaining the plot. And I think we're probably just going to do more of what we do, which is try to explain the plot and then get derailed and then make jokes about fan fiction for like half an hour and then talk about candy. That's, <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say that's probably where this is going to go. But I'll let Kate try to explain this. <laughs> Kate explains the X Men would be a very different podcast. Very different things. <laughs> Kate explains the X Men is like twenty hours of they love each other so much though. <laughs> In an in-depth panel-by-panel explanation of X-Men First Class and Greg Puck's Extreme X-Men and other beloved cancelled books. Yes. Um, but so so we'll try, we're going to try and cover this in a way that will maybe be able, make you able to understand it, but, you know, no promises. Um, so the book opens, there's a Lila Cheney concert in, I think, Central Park, and it's a big free concert. And Warren is meeting up with a girl to go to it, and... Wait, okay, I don't want to... I know we can't go into every single thing, because we'll get bugged out in details, never finish. But I do want to talk about how he... The narrator starts off by explaining that Warren Worthington is a hell of a date. I'm sorry, it says heck of a, heck of a date, because this is for youth. And then his date is a, is a black woman, and she's like, oh, I didn't know you were white. And, like... Warren Worthington, A, in world is, like, pretty famous guy. And then, so, B, like, how was this date arranged? And was it on ChristianMingle.com? And... Um, I, I'm pretty sure that the reason she's confused is because he's been archangeled at this point. So his skin is usually blue. Oh! And he has his image inducer on, so he looks white. I think that's what she's referring to. Oh. I didn't get that. That's weird. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) So they're at this Lila Cheney concert, um, and before Lila starts to play, Lila Cheney is a mutant rock star who also is, like, a thief and an intergalactic... It's amazing. She's amazing. Read more about her other places. Before she goes on, uh, Professor Xavier comes out and gives a speech about how everyone should, you know, embrace brotherhood and mutants and humans and white people and black people and men and women and gay people and we're all just brothers and we should accept each other. People are booing him. They're throwing shit at the stage. It's not really going well for him. And uh, then a person jumps out with a giant gun and shoots him in the head. And that person, we believe at this point, is Cable. And everyone freaks out. He disappears. Storm and Wolverine are there watching the show and, like, acting. And uh, Bishop and Gambit, too, I think, right? Yeah, because well, Storm and Gambit are there together. Yeah. Um, they're, they're acting sort of as security, and they're, like, really upset that they missed this. And the professor is taken away to the hospital, and no one knows what happened. 
Meanwhile, simultaneously, uh, Scott and Jean are on a date, and Jean's really pissed because Scott's, like, thinking about how hot Psylocke is. And she's a mind reader, and she's like, not cool, bro. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I wasn't thinking about that, and she's like, I can literally read your mind. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's insulting to me. You know, say something like, well, you know, that's just biology or something. Don't just try to straight up, well, don't believe your lying eyes, honey, or don't believe your lying telepath powers. Like, yes, that you know that's what you were thinking. She knows that's what you're thinking. And he also does say, like, well, it's just biology. Like, I'm just a man and she's just a woman, but, like, but you're a more beautiful woman. And I love you and, and we've been in love forever and nothing will tear us apart. Yet, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read forward in the x-men comics (laughs) Uh, so they're talking that out and like he apologizes and she accepts it and then before they can do more than like have an apologetic kiss caliban who is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse a former morlock which if you don't know what that is it's not important and it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) shows up and uh comes after them and uh, is attempting to capture them. The, like, whole bar that they're in is, like, getting knocked to shreds. Um, Piotr, Rasputin, and Bobby, uh, Drake, Iceman, and Colossus are grocery shopping nearby, and they see this commotion, so they rush over to help, and by the time they get there, Caliban's gone, Scott and Jean are gone, the other horsemen of the apocalypse show up and fight with them, and then also run off. So they're pretty much like, well, shit, somebody hurt the professor and somebody attacked Scott and Jean. And it's probably not at all related. These are probably two totally separate events, but we should all, you know, get together and and figure out, um, you know, how we're going to go about this. Is this maybe where we should say that if if you've been seeing the promos for the forthcoming X-Men movie, the four horsemen feature there that. Uh, you know, Apocalypse is this like mega tough mutant who has always had four henchmen underneath of him, like four of the most powerful people he can find, and that those are his horsemen. So, if that sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you saw those promos. Yeah. Oh, that's also, I think we were at some point going to mention that that's why this month we're um, doing two different X Men books because of our excitement about the X Men Apocalypse movie. So if you didn't infer that, we have not yet explicitly said that. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse! Woo! Although, actually, read, read these comics first. It kind of deflates some of your hype because Apocalypse is, like, not that tough no. <laughs> in this book. Uh, so. they, they broke him out of his egg before he was done healing, okay? <laughs> yeah, he wasn't, cook- he wasn't cooked yet. <laughs> but it was an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, so at the hospital where they've rushed uh, Charles to be seen by doctors, uh, the government X team X Factor meets up with them because they saw on television, they have been wanting to watch the Lila Cheney concert on television and saw what happened. So they rushed to the hospital to see how they could help. And, you know, so they decide, okay, we're all going to, going to decamp back to the X mansion and figure this out. Meanwhile, the X-Force kids in exile. <laughs> in their, oh! 
<laughs> Drink every time we say something that starts with X. I <laughs> uh, have also seen on television what happened, and they see that Cable was involved, and Cable is supposed to be, like, their dude, so they're curious as to what the, the bigger picture is, because obviously, like, they, they think he's a good guy, and they have to, to see what, what he's up to, so... They head out to Central Park. X-Factor heads out to Central Park to see if they can pick up on Cable's trail. They see the X-Force kids. They realize that the X-Force kids have been working with Cable. And they have a big, stupid fight that no one really cares about. Yeah, I, I genuinely did not understand why they were fighting. I still guess I don't really. Just because <laughs> they were there. Yeah, so the, I mean, the, the X-Force kids had gone to the park to see if they could figure out what went wrong and try and find Cable because they assume that he's got more going on than, than it sounds like. The X-Factor people are looking for Cable because they think he's a bad guy. They know that Cable is associated with X-Force, so when they see X-Force, they assume that they also were working with him for the assassination attempt. Well, it's a lot of like, you got you X-Force, you need to turn yourself in, right? And yeah. that sounds okay until then when they say no... They're just like, well, we're just going to murder all of you then. And they just start like throwing laser beams around and like, trying <laughs> to sonic boom each other or whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's no way I would put myself in their custody. These people are insane. It's kind of also why Marvel Civil War is stupid to me. Like, I'm just mm. I'm not that into like conflicts between all the people who we think are supposed to be the good guys. Whatever. Whatever, Marvel. So everybody heads back to the mansion to figure out kind of what's going on. Um, they realize that the thing that was shot at Xavier was the techno-organic virus, which is something they've dealt with before, and it really doesn't matter if you don't know what it is. Basically, it's a very debilitating thing that's going to take over his entire body. And they figure, well, there's nothing we can do to stop it here at the hospital. Let's take him back to the mansion where Hank and... Uh, Moira can look at him and figure out if there's anything that we can do with our Shi'ar technology to help him. And a, Sh a Shi'ar, this is like the main theme, right? A Shi'ar, if you don't know what that is, it doesn't really matter. It's <laughs> it's an alien. It's extra fancy technology. Like, there's so many things in here that you, if you could just replace the word MacGuffin for, like, the names of different factions that come out, you're like, you understand it just as well. The MacGuffin virus that can only be uh, cured by the MacGuffin tech. Mm -hmm. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they're trying to, to save Charles. They don't know what's wrong with him. Um, and they realize that, you know, okay, so this happened and Scott and Jean are captive and we have to figure out what's going on. So they decide that they're going to split up into different teams. Um, one of the teams is going to go after Jean and Scott and the Horsemen of the Apocalypse um, so one of the teams is going to go after X-Force and see, um, try and capture them so that they can see what's going on with Cable and because they think that they had something to do with the assassination attempt. Uh, meanwhile, surprise, surprise, it's Mr. Sinister who actually arranged for Gene and Scott to be captured. Mr. Sinister is an X-Men bad guy who is just fucking obsessed with the Summers family genetics. Scott and Jean in particular, but also to a lesser degree, Alex and occasionally Lorna. He just like has a giant old hard on for summer fa summer's family genetic material. 
Also, he re- he reveals himself by saying that sinister things are afoot, and it's amazing. <laughs> if you're ever reading an X-Men comic and Jean and Scott are kidnapped together and it's just the two of them, there's a 99.9% chance that it's Mr. Sinister, or it will be retconned to have been Mr. Sinister. Uh, or someone, someone working for Mr. Sinister. Yes. Because he wants their baby. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, this time, after he catches them, uh, he hands them over to Strife in exchange for a mysterious canister that we don't know what it is yet, but we assume it has something to do with them because that's all he ever cares about. Um, and it's revealed that Strife is the one who's kind of been behind this the entire time. Strife is a bad guy who at this point we don't realize it, but is actually a clone of Cable. But at this point, he's just we just know that he's a guy in a big metal suit who is real angry about a lot of things. He wears a helmet that looks like Shredder from Ninja Turtles, but like three <laughs> Shredder helmets arranged all around his head, kind of. It's kind oh of God, that vibe. Right. <laughs> is he... Is he- Again, maybe this is another, it doesn't really matter, but so is he a clone or is, I thought he was like an alternate timeline version. Of it's that? not revealed in this cable? book what exactly he is. They just know he looks alike and they're like shrug. Right. And okay. I think at different points in the continuity, he has been both. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, so back in Egypt, well, in Egypt for the first time, um, the Dark Riders, who are Apocalypse's, like, other henchmen worshippers outside of the Four Horsemen, have woken Apocalypse up. And as we alluded to before, he has not finished cooking <laughs> in his egg. He's not <laughs> been completely regenerated yet, so he's really pissy because he's not at full strength. But the Dark Riders are like, what the fuck? Like, the Horsemen went after the X-Men. Like, did you send them? What's going on? We're so confused, and he's real pistol that they woke him up, especially when the X-Men show up and they're like fighting and Apocalypse is so messed up that he can't even really fight them very well. So he manages to kind of subdue them all and run away bleeding. <laughs> and, uh, and that's that. Uh, okay. God, what else? What the fuck else is going on at this point? I guess cable, the actual cable comes back and he's been time traveling somewhere else and hasn't even realized what's been going on. And when he does, he's like, well, shit, you know, they're all going to think that I did it. I'm going to have to go and get some files from Canada yeah. for yes. some reason. Yes, that, yeah. he goes with Wolverine and he Bishop. Goes, no, Wolverine and Bishop are going to, to Canada to get some files for another reason. What? I thought they were all there together. Not yet, because they fight no, with they him. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, right. How could I forget already? Because it was amazing. Okay. <laughs> so people's also going to Canada to get some files. <laughs> if, if you're unaware, <laughs> Canada in the Marvel Universe is very different from Canada in real life. They're like super military, super powered. Like, first of all, Canada it created Wolverine. Not, not in America. Like, if you tell me right now today that America had a secret program that was giving people metal bones for fighting, I think, yeah, that sounds like us. But Canada? <laughs> nope, but Marvel Canada's all over that shit. Yeah. And 
Anyway, so... <laughs> But then also the files that they go to get are just in like a filing cabinet. In a They're room, not like in, in a, a room labeled records room. or something. But they mentioned that they're less well guarded than usual because like the strike team is out doing something else. So they got lucky. <laughs> yeah, so the cat so the regular office filing cabinet is just unlocked, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. So they, they Bishop and Wolverine meet Cable and they fight a lot over you know, because they think that Cable tried to assassinate the professor, and Cable's like, look, it wasn't me if you are 100% positive that it was me, despite the fact that we know that time travel and people who can wear other people's faces is a thing, go ahead and kill me right now. And Wolverine's like, well, shit. (laughs) Yeah, like, we've all met Mystique. Um, We've encountered her many times. I feel like in this universe, being an eyewitness doesn't mean anything anymore. You could be looking at a magical illusion. You could be looking at a face shifter. It doesn't mean jack. So they're like, okay, fine. Like we'll go with you, and we'll we'll figure out what's what. So Cable brings Bishop and Wolverine to his like floating spaceship and tells him that he's a time traveler, and Strike's also a time traveler, and um, they've been they're from the future and in the future they like fought on opposite sides of a million different wars and Cable's always trying to stop him and Strike like really hates Cable for reasons that Cable's not positive about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, Scott and Jean are being held by Strife and being tortured mentally in various ways. And like he, there's, there's, this is, there's a lot of weird age play in X-Men comics pretty consistently. Oh. And there's definitely a scene here where it's pointed out that he hasn't fed them at all since he brought them there. So he, like, hand-feeds Scott, treating him like a little baby. He makes the computer come up with warm milk to nourish an infant, he calls it. Something <sighs> like that. Also, by the way, I would just like to interject that Strife spells his name with a Y because it's the 90s. <laughs> Because I know you can't tell that when we say it, but if you have never encountered this character before and you are wondering, does his name have a Y in it? Yes, it does. It is Strife with a Y. And also, so Jean's Jean's torture scenario is just like a million rapey robot hands grabbing her all over, which was, I thought... It's gross. Well, I mean, so Scott's is like, oh, no, I accidentally, I was trying to be a hero, but I accidentally failed and, like, killed some innocents. And they're like, okay, yeah, like, I can see. And then hers, it's just like, yeah, it's just, wouldn't it suck if you were just getting groped and grabbed by a million robot hands all over your precious bits? And I was like, this is getting weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Correct. Um, back on Earth, spoiler alert, they're, they the X-Men, various X-Teams have gathered all of this data on Strife and they figure that he's connected to this mutant organization. Um, so they've captured the X-Force kids at this point and a couple of them say like, well, you know, they explain, you know, we didn't have anything to do with the assassination attempt. We really want to help you. What can we do? So a couple of them are freed to help with the attempt to chase down Strife. So they find mutant group, the Mutant Liberation Front, I think. Yeah, MLF. Mm-hmm. It's called MLF. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find where they're hiding, and uh, a whole bunch of them all 
go out to try and, and find strife. It's in, like, the Midwest somewhere, I think. Yeah, like Oklahoma. They keep calling it the Heartland. I think the name of the town is Dust Bowl. Am I right? Yeah, I, I think. Like, I don't know. Right. It's, so, right. it's something like that, yeah. Um, so they try to take over this base, and they knock out and accidentally kill a whole bunch of these MLF guys. So at one point, Angel, like, knocks out a whole bunch of these guys, and then he turns around with his razor-sharp wings out, and he accidentally decapitates a guy. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, and everyone's pretty... reaction isn't even... It's not horror. Everyone's just like, ew, gross! <laughs> um, like, that well, guy I mean... might have had children. You don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that happens, and they, uh head back because they can't find Strife anywhere. And back at the X-Mansion, they've removed the techno-organic bullet that was shot at Xavier. But despite the fact that the bullet is gone, the virus is still taking over their bo- his body. Um, and then Apocalypse shows up after having... First, first Apocalypse goes after Strife because Strife... He, he finds out that Strife is the one who... Oh, woke the four horsemen and strife very easily defeats apocalypse in his weakened state and so disgraced apocalypse comes to the x-men and is basically like i can save the professor and i need you to help me stop strife because i hate him and i want to get rid of him basically because he insulted me in front of all of my my bros (laughs) so i'll work with you you know even though i'm the worst villain ever and uh, and everything will be okay. So they're like, all right. And there is shockingly it. little pushback to this, by the way. Yes. This is not like Magneto, who is constantly like, oh, I'm doing this for the greater good of Newton, whatever, and who's kind of an anti-hero sometimes. Sometimes he's a straight-up villain uh, in the X-Men world. Like, this is a person who pretty much is just a villain and, like frequently touted as the worst of the worst villains and pretty much angel is just like oh i know because of when i was one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that this is going to be okay so let's just go with it and they're all like okay well you would know (laughs) and i mean i guess i guess they have been building up how they have no other way to cure this virus and they just don't know they just don't know so whatever um so like hopefully this doesn't backfire yeah, hopefully there's not. no repercussions. Uh, Apocalypse does manage to save the professor, and Wolverine figures out, because they're trying to figure out where Scott and Jean are, and Wolverine figures out that they're on the moon. And it's amazing. He, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, like, Skyping with the other group, and he is like, well, I thought about it, and they're on the moon. And everyone's like, What? And he's like, well, just, there's nowhere else on Earth they can be, so, the moon. And they're like, fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's, it's pretty comical. Yeah. A comical, comic moment. <laughs> so, because of gravity and science, Cable's spaceship can't just beam them down to the moon. He has to, like, reconfigure some shit. And Apocalypse has a spaceship that can get them to the moon, but it's going to take a little while, so all of the X-Men, like, set off in a spaceship for the moon. There are several panels in interspersed with them, like, taking their spaceship to the moon of Cable, Bishop, and Wolverine literally sitting around doing nothing on the satellite. Like, Wolverine's playing cards. 
Cable's buffing his nails. Bishop's just pacing in the background. No, waiting. I have to interject. Wolverine's not playing cards. He wanted to know if anybody had cards and no one did. Wolverine has one claw out and he's just sort of like swirling it around on the table. Because <laughs> that, I like, I stared at those panels for a long time. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? And he's, I thought, it kind of looks like maybe there's water on the table and he's doing like a pattern, but it's just like he's doing something with one claw out on the table. <laughs> <laughs> like the equivalent of twiddling your thumbs but with your with your claw yeah. Claws. yeah it's pretty great i love wolverine you guys <laughs> did you know that i do i never i was never aware of that before <laughs> there's just so many shocking revelations on this podcast today <laughs> you know what though just let me interject real quick because i think though that's like the perfect scene where it's, that's to me is what the problem with these 90s comics are. It's like Wolverine, his obvious like masculine bravado is fun. Like he does little goofy things like smoking a cigar on the airplane or just. Oh yeah. And then uh, there's another thing where for fun. the spaceship fire extinguisher puts out a cigar in his mouth and it's amazing. Yeah. And like, so he has those little fun moments, but Cable and Bishop I have to be so 90s serious, like, in the vein of, like, Spawn or, like, I don't even know, like, insert crappy 90s comics character here where they just have to be big slabs of meat with no emotion other than anger and nothing interesting about them. And so when you put them together in a room with Wolverine, it's, like, brooding, brooding, and then Wolverine's just doing some goofy little bit of side business. And that's where you realize, okay, this is why we love the classic X-Men and why these other... 90s X-Men kind of suck. Yeah, like, Wolverine, I feel like, should be your high bar for, like, broody, sulky dude. And, in fact, in this series, he's, like, the low bar. At least <laughs> of this group. I mean, then with the rest of the team, you've got, like, Gambit and Bobby are also a little more lighthearted. But, yeah, when Wolverine is one of your least angsty characters, you've got to reevaluate. So, meanwhile... Yeah, he's like, come on, guys, cheer up. Like, we're going to the moon. It's not that bad. <laughs> right. <And they're> like, <laughs> So meanwhile, on the moon, Jean has figured out a way to trick Strife into thinking that they're unconscious um, because he thinks that his power is so great that he can keep them in check. And he, she figures out like a way to kind of supersede his power and get them out of the prison that they're in. And then there's this whole like complicated thing with a baby where like a baby is hooked up to the ship and they have to kill the baby to kill Strife. And if they don't, he'll kill them. And they come up with another way where they break out of the base. and But it's on the moon, so there's no oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we didn't think that far. Hashtag moon problems. <laughs> so he has to go back and get them again. And uh, the X-Men get to the moon. And eventually the other three get to the moon too. And... They're battling all of the Dark Riders and all of these other people while Strife has Scott and Jean in a different place and is, like, essentially lecturing them. And so here is where the problem of having read these comics for a long time and knowing a lot about these characters and knowing their backstories comes into direct conflict with how confusing these comics actually are. I did not realize until I read the Wikipedia summary, I could not figure out while it was happening if this was the reveal that Cable is Nathan Christopher and that, like, you know, Scott Scott and his former dead wife's son who was sent to the future to be protected. 
like I could not tell if it was revealed at this point or not. The text was not clear to me. Oh According yeah, yeah, because they were like, oh, they they knew they would never see their son again. Yeah. What what did Wikipedia yeah. say? Wikipedia seems to imply that they now know that Scott uh, that uh, Cable is Nathan Christopher. Well, except doesn't Wikipedia say that fans at the time were mad because it wasn't clear enough? Like that they were promised Cable's backstory, and then you get this like, well, maybe maybe it's this and. Is Strife a clone or a top? We don't, you know, that fans were just like, what the heck? That's not a backstory. Yeah. So it is confusing, but apparently they intended for people to realize at this point that Cable was Nathan Christopher Summers. And God, how, how even does this end? They... Um, excuse you. It ends with Charles Xavier learning how to rollerblade. <laughs> I mean, what happens between, how do they get, how do they defeat Strife? Oh, right, fucking Cable. Cable figures out that the only way to defeat Strife would be to send him back to the future by detonating this, like, time bomb that he has. So while everyone else is protected by a force field, he, like, runs out and grabs Strife and has the bomb and tells Scott, like, you have to press the button. It's the only way to do this, and Scott doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyway, and they're sent back to the future, and everybody gets back in Apocalypse, the spaceship, and goes back to Earth. Then there's an epilogue. <laughs> and the epilogue is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the, the, the three plots of the epilogue, the three story plots for this issue are Rogue was temporarily blinded and is feeling sorry for herself on the roof. And Bishop is low-key sexually harassing her the way, or not Bishop, Gambit is low-key sexually <laughs> harassing her. <laughs> The way that he always does. Kate, she likes it. (laughs) I'm sorry, but she does like it. (laughs) And she admits it. And he 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 says he'll be her eyes for a while until she heals. One of the other plots is Angel and uh, Hank decide that because the bar that got destroyed when... Gene and Scott were abducted is like their favorite place to go and like they it's been a part of their lives for a long time they're gonna sneak out in the night and use special like super fast construction tools that Forge made for some reason <laughs> to rebuild the bar while everyone's asleep and they have a lot of like really goofy bonding moments where they're reminiscing about you know being kids at the academy together when they were younger and then the other plot point for the epilogue is that the techno-organic virus and getting rid of it has left Xavier temporarily with the ability to walk. And he's kind of like reveling in the fact that he can feel the grass underneath his toes and he can stand up straight and like run around and stuff. And Jubilee, who's rollerblading nearby, is like, no, the coolest possible thing you can do while standing up is rollerblading. So let's go rollerblading. And she teaches him how to rollerblade. (laughs) And it's adorable. In the most 90s moment of any. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh, his legs start to give out again and she helps him back to his chair and it's very cute. Yes. Touching. Because she has this whole thing of like, he wouldn't want help from me because I'm just like a dumb kid. But also clearly his legs are giving out, so I guess I'll help him. <laughs> now that I'm describing it, it doesn't sound as cute as it was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of dug it because I felt like it was a very mo- meta moment where Jubilee's like, well, I don't 
do anything really around here. <laughs> right. Uh, and I was like, well, at least the character kind of understands that. But then in this moment, it's like, no, you realize, Jubilee, that that's what you do is you make all of us readers smile. You don't go to the moon or like fight apocalypse. But you, you're there to provide these little happy moments that make X-Men a very charming comic. Yes. So I, that's why I like that part. And the rollerblading. One other thing I want to say about the Rogue and Gambit part of the epilogue that is just like so, so peak 90s X-Men to me is she is kind of like, uh, like sucks, my powers, nobody can touch me. I just want like a man to run his fingers through my hair and tell me everything will be okay. And he's kind of hovering with his hand near her-ish. And he has, he's wearing his fucking fingerless gloves that Gambit always wears. And it's like, Gambit, <laughs> Gambit just get get the rest of those gloves and you could do it. You could touch her head if you had an entire set of gloves on. <laughs> but he doesn't. <laughs> well, he can't compromise himself for a woman. Right. I mean, he's got, he's got his sweet 90s fashion to live up to. Uh, just the best. Just so dumb and so great. So I know that, like, we read shitty things, and I know that, objectively, this is not a good comic. However, <laughs> I, like, 100% enjoyed it. I just really had a lot of fun reading this. And I'm not necessarily going to recommend that people should read it, but if you are a fan of like how ridiculously goofy and off the wall and nonsensical X-Men can be like, you should read it. Cause it's, it's pretty, it, it's pretty much a trip. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I, I especially like the X-Men bits of this for me, the other two teams are a little bit more skippable, like Megan was saying before, but there are a lot of just like goofy, charming character bits and the plot is some nonsense. Like, for sure, but... Yeah, but it's there, there's some pretty great bits. Peter David is known for, like, his one-liners. There's a lot of, like, really dumb, one-off jokes that did legitimately make me laugh. Yeah, such <laughs> as, such as, we're gonna get cable. All right, can we get HBO? <laughs> <laughs> and Disney Channel for Rain? Very thoughtful. And there's a, there's a bit where... Alex is like, are you okay, sweetheart? And Strong Guy is like, I'm fine. You should check on Lorna, though. And they're, like, very funny. And then Alex is like, this was exactly my plan, like, to let them get away. And Lorna's like, uh, this was your plan? And he's like, okay, so it wasn't really my plan. But now that they have gotten away, I've come up with another plan. <laughs> and it's just as good. <laughs> Speaking of Strong Guy, there's another part I like where Jubilee is like, Oh man, I just got defeated by a guy named Strong Guy. Or no, wait, I, I just got lectured about maturity by a guy named Strong Guy. Color me humiliated. <laughs> Which is true. If your name is Strong Guy, I don't even know how to finish that sentence. Don't have your name be Strong Guy? <laughs> I guess is my main advice to Strong Guy. <laughs> and the rest of the team is just like, nah, it's not worth it to try to help him come up with something better. They're just like, whatever. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that probably about wraps up the plot as we understood it, and we can move into our dramatic readings. Sounds good. Let's do it. To me, my X-Men. <laughs> so the... And this is... We've had this trouble before when we've tried to read comics, so 
we'll kind of read and maybe try to describe what's going on, and then we'll post these panels on our website, worstbestsellers.com, also, so you can you can check out this awesome 90s art. But so our first selection is from the beginning, before the plot really picks up, and it's just a few, a few scenes of, like, what the X-Men are up to. And there's a lot of characters in play. I'm going to be Scott Summers and also Gambit. Kate will be our narrator box and also uh, Piotr Rasputin and also Storm. And Megan will be Jean Grey and also Bobby Drake. And it should be kind of clear from context when we're being what person. And if it's not, whatever, comics are confusing, man. (laughs) Salem Center, Westchester. To the townies, it's known as Harry's Hideaway. The students of Charles Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, however, have dubbed it the Danger Pub. All right, so this is this is Scott <laughs> sitting by himself at the Danger Pub, and these are all thought bubbles. I just hope I'm making the right decision. Logan assures me that with Mariko's death, the last thing he needs is a forced leave of absence from the X-Men. I can sympathize with him. I remember how devastated I was when I thought I'd lost Jean. And then we see him looking at a poster of a sexy beer lady. And he thinks the difference being... I never had a support group outside the team. All my friends are X-Men. All my loves are... Meanwhile, in his thought bubble, the sexy beer lady is turning into Psylocke. Are... Hey, handsome. Your heart can stop beating again. I'm back. Hello, Earth to Scott. Summers. You're... You're... You're thinking about her again? Her? I'm thinking of you, Jean. I'm always thinking of you. Don't lie to a telepath, Scott. It's demeaning. All right, and now we cut to Bobby and Peter at the grocery store. Uh, Opal said she needs time alone to think things through. Ouch. Ouch? Needs time alone to think things through, Peter, is womanese for we're broken up and I don't want to tell you. I see. There's no chance she's being sincere? Hmm. Hadn't thought of that. Try, Robert. Meanwhile, read me the name of those pork rinds Logan Logan asked us to buy. My love life is coming apart at the seams, and I'm shopping for pork rinds? Life is unfair that way. We would know. Pete, you and I don't have a lot of history between us, but if... But if I'd like to pour my heart out about my brother's suicide, you'll listen. Thank you, no. My grief, my shame, is a private matter. Alright, and now we cut to Gambit and Storm in Central Park at the Lila Cheney concert. In a small panel, the crowd is chanting, Lila, Lila. And Gambit says, You ask me, Cher, ain't nobody good enough for my Stormy know-how. I'm thinking you're better off without Forge. How exactly did you even hear about my recent estrangement? Debbie Jubilee. Lil' Waif must have her ear at the door of every room in Dimension. Of course, something that important, body'd expect to hear straight from the friend, no? We have barely spoken since you joined the blue team, Gambit. You have been less than supportive of Bishop's membership in the X-Men. And you never mentioned you even had a wife, Belladonna, before or after her death. Perhaps you used the word friend too freely? Ah, Stormy, you wound me. I may if you keep calling me, eh? Okay, then they start dancing. 
And Gambit says, death threats and dancing. Shrey chic, eh? This is rock music, Remy. Why are we waltzing? Cause, Aurora, it's the only dance step this Cajun knows. Big props to you for your accent. That was pretty good. Merci. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so our next panel is uh, Strife and Apocalypse. Where does this take place? Is this on the moon? Yeah, we don't know it's the moon yet, but it's on the moon. Cool. Oh, no, it's in Egypt. Sorry, it's not on the moon. It's in Egypt. You know what? The moon and Egypt, they're not that different, really. Uh, in comics time, I guess. So, uh, for this one, uh, Megan will be Strife, and Kate will be Apocalypse, and I'll be the narrator box. The mutant liberation front has been crushed. Professor Xavier inches closer to death. The one who could save him faces off against the one responsible for it all. Apocalypse versus Strife continues. Inside the temple at Bantmaza, behind the walls of yesterday... The battle for tomorrow begins. The time has come, Apocalypse. The devil to come must pay his due to the devil who made him. Pay me, master of time, and let your death be the coin of exchange. I owe you nothing, Strife. Liar! You owe me for everything that's gone wrong with my life. You owe a world for the wrongs you have foisted upon it. Millions cry in agony every day, but that screaming is like unto silence when compared to the lonely cries of an abandoned child. How long has it been since you cried a babe's tears of need? How long has it been since you longed for the gentle warmth of a mother's touch? Do you want to know how long it has been for me? It has been forever. A forever solitude brought on by you, father of pain, son of the morning fire. Trying to reach your teleportation matrix apocalypse? Trying to escape? Where can you flee? To safety. Safety? There is no haven for you. There is no place safe from me. That is some primo 90s villain monologuing right there. Yeah. So Megan was doing a really great job of showing how Strife, like, he has so many words that are in, like, huge font for emphasis, and sometimes they're in pink, and it's great. Actually, so does Apocalypse, so pink font going on. Yeah, the lettering, for for all that, there's, like, this is so 90s, and the art is pretty over the top, and the writing is pretty over the top. Um, I will give a shout-out to the lettering in all of these issues. It is primo. The letterers did an excellent job with this. Excellent job. All right. <laughs> okay, and... It's extravagant. Ooh, good one. Um, okay, and so our last one is from the epilogue. And I will be Warren Worthington, and Kate will be Hank McCoy, and we are in the dead of night repairing Harry's pub, because, obviously. (laughs) Forge may be gone, but he's not forgotten. Only a mutant genius of his intellect could have created a noiseless hammer gun. A textbook example of the use of genetic advancements in practical and commercial employment. The use of genetic... Why does that sound so familiar? It was the title of your term paper, Junior Year. You paid me $1,000 to write it in your stead. Right. The same paper Professor Xavier changed his mind about the day it was due. 
We had to deliver our our reports mentally. He called it an exercise in psionic projection. Admittedly, you looked quite the ignoramus, standing in front of the class without a single original thought in your head. With the possible exception of, why me? I think I was praying for the sentinels to attack. How is it the professor always seemed to know everything? Honestly, in this particular case, I told him. You told him? But only after I cashed the check. <laughs> you told him? I swear, I <laughs> don't know about how Bobby <laughs> kept a straight face. If it looked anything like this one, it was easy. And then Warren throws some paint at him. Whoa, I surrender post-haste. Do you know how long it takes to scrub wood varnish out of fur? I guess he threw wood varnish at him. (laughs) 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 Not paint. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just kind of like a charming, cute little character moment at the end of all this stupid space-time travel drama. (laughs) Yeah, like everything in the epilogue, all three of the little vignettes could have been like the end of an episode of Full House. And yeah, it would like freeze. It would like freeze frame while everyone's laughing, and then like the theme music would start up. It's very cute. And I would watch that show. I, oh man, if it was just like Full House, but about the Xavier Academy, and there was never any kind of fights, and it was just purely like school and interpersonal relationship drama, and then freeze frame on them laughing at the end. So many times on Twitter, that is my ideal, my ideal X television adaptation would be kind of the the feel of, um, Frick, who wrote that series? Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh, Jason Aaron? Yes, Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, where it's just like this new class of X kids at school getting into dumb hijinks and friendships and relationships and... It was amazing, and yeah. I that is my ideal X title as a television show. Same. All right. Well, the, that was not one of our would you rather questions, but uh, <laughs> but I would rather that that existed than almost anything <laughs> else that does exist right now. <laughs> if anyone were to ask. <laughs> so okay, our first would you rather question is based on the fact that a lot of the characters use some really uh, charming '90s type insults. And so based on a few of those, I'll ask, would you rather be called a blork or told to suck a time bomb? I think I'm going to go with blork because it sounds like some sort of weird alien species. And, uh, you know, I, I could be into that. Say, well, I'm, I'm going with blork because to me it sounded like it was maybe some kind of dork. And I'm definitely a dork as evidenced by having written this question. <laughs> you know, suck a time bomb made me chuckle when I read it, but I think if someone said it to me in the heat of the moment, I would be like, say what? Like, that it would be more of an insult, whereas I think if someone called me a blork, it sounds almost, like, affectionate. Like, someone would kind of chuck you under the chin and be like, oh, you're such a blork, and I'd be like, I know. That's true. (laughs) That's solid. This all reminds me of um, something that Jay and Miles talk about on Explain the X-Men, which is that, like, especially in the early, like, first-run X-Men series back in the 60s, it was written by Stan Lee, who thought that he knew what teenagers were like, but very clearly didn't know what teenagers were like. (laughs) And there would be all these, like, totally weird slang words, (laughs) their favorite being (laughs) Yabo. Yes. (laughs) 
What are the kids saying? What what cool things are the kids saying? Blork? Does that sound like something cool the kids would say? Blork. Yeah, let's let's go with that. <laughs> and that's just like this. What is which Earth is this? Six one six or whatever. Yeah. They just like just run with it on this Earth. Slang is weird. <laughs> Everything's all blorked up. Six one six. All right. Next up, would you rather? Be a contractor who has to reconstruct the X-Mansion every time a villain destroys part of it. Or be the proprietor of one of the X-Men's frequently destroyed hangouts, like Harry's Hideaway or Cafe Agogo. Yeah, that was something that um, we didn't really mention specifically. But, like, three different villains over the course of this 12-issue series break into the mansion and do what appears to be major structural damage that is not at all addressed during the rest of the books. Well, maybe it's because Hank was out there with his silent hammer gun in between panels. <laughs> mm-hmm. We wouldn't have heard it. <laughs> to the question at hand, I feel like I would want to be the proprietor of one of the frequently destroyed hangouts for two reasons. One, I imagine in 616, and I think this has been addressed in comics before. I know that I've addressed it in fan fiction, <laughs> um, that there's superhero insurance. So I imagine that at least I'd get some nice payouts to fix up my destroyed coffee shop or bar. And for the second reason, um, I think it would be amazing to gossip about all these asshole superheroes who come in and destroy my place all the time. Oh my god, Totally. Like, did you see, like, Scott and Jean were here, and they got in this fight, and she told them, don't lie to a telepath. Like, obviously, even I know not to lie to a telepath, come on. And then they, like, toast about it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but if you're the contractor to build the X-Mansion, I mean, I don't know, I guess you could probably, like, find some pretty entertaining stuff. You know, like, Wolverine's bedroom gets knocked out, and you've got to put the walls back up, and you're like... He's got, like, 20 swords under his bed. Like, what? <laughs> He's got 15 <laughs> pictures of Scott and Jean with Scott's face. <laughs> <laughs> and then you gotta be like, here, I found these under the rubble. And Wolverine's like, I don't know how that got there. <laughs> <laughs> don't lie to a telepath, Wolverine. <laughs> So I'm siding with Kay. I think I also would rather be, you know, the bartender or whatever. But I, I just try to like to see both sides because I think there could be, could be fun to that as well to be the contractor. Mm. Well, so I'm really glad you addressed the insurance question because I was wondering that when I was thinking about my answer to this. So yeah, if you're the proprietor of the bar, you'll get an insurance payout that you use to pay the contractor that you hire to fix your bar, right? But if you're the contractor, every time the X-Men come to town and or the villains come to town and blow up a building, if you're their chosen guy, you're just like, all right, well, I know that Timmy's braces are going to be paid for now. So I think from like an economic perspective, I'd rather be the contractor. That's Plus, as the proprietor, I would worry that I'm closed too often. <laughs> That's true. All right. And last up, this addresses events that happened before what we covered in this book but if you're a fan of x-men you're you'll get it and if you're not a fan of x-men you're getting none of this anyway so who cares about you Uh, (laughs) i mean we care about all our listeners our first (laughs) our last question is would you rather find your spouse via a clone of your dead girlfriend created by a supervillain obsessed with your genetic code or on christianmingle.com 
Well, as tempted as I am by the first option, because, you know, it's nice to think that your spouse was created specifically with you in mind. Like, that's just convenient. I just, I gotta stick with our beloved sponsors, ChristianMingle.com, because I know what sort of quality service they supply there. Yeah, and I think in the long run, Christian Mingle is going to be less traumatic than the first option. Yeah, probably, um, you know, the spouse that I find on ChristianMingle.com won't become the Goblin Queen, but, you know, you never know. I'm not going <laughs> to judge her hobbies. <laughs> All right, Megan, how about you? So... I just got to think, you know, if if your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your partner dies, then that means that person was not in God's plan for you. And if you want to find the person who is in God's plan for you, you got to head over to ChristianMingle.com. Um, I also say that as a person who is going through the process of a divorce right now. So the idea of a clone of my ex <laughs> is not super hot to me. I'd rather go find someone new. Fresh start. Fresh start. <laughs> Available on ChristianMingle.com. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for playing Would You Rather, and thanks, as always, to ChristianMingle.com for sponsoring us. And we'll move on now to our reader's advisory, where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to Executioner's Song. Yeah, um, so if it hasn't been abundantly clear up until this point and up into listening to the podcast as a whole up to this point. Um, Renata and I are pretty big X-Men fans. So essentially, like, looking at my suggestions, I've pretty much just put together my list of what X-Men comics I think you should read. And I didn't make a list because I looked at Kate's list and agreed with it. So we'll we'll put all of those uh, on our website, worstbestsellers.com, for sure. Um, also, if it wasn't clear, we definitely endorse the podcast Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Uh, if you care about X-Men and for some reason aren't already listening to it, check that out. So just real brief, I'm going to touch on a couple of the X titles that I think you should read without going into a lot of detail and with the knowledge that there is much more waiting for you on the website if this is a can of worms you would, in fact, like to open. X-Men First Class by Jeff Parker with art by Roger Cruz and Colleen Coover and a couple other artists, is the X-Men comic of my heart. It is new stories about the original five X-Men set kind of nebulously in the present. They are hilarious. They are heartwarming. They are amazing. I love these characters. The original five X-Men are the X-Men of my heart. And they're just really fun, self-contained stories that aren't really mired down in continuity. So if you look at the history of X-Men and freak out about how much there is to learn, this is a really good place to start. Uh, along the same lines, X-Men Season 1, written by Dennis Hopeless, with art by Jamie McKelvey, is a similar, slightly more serious... Um, there are some serious stories in X-Men First Class, but Season 1 is just one story mostly told from Jean's point of view, which is very interesting because she, her personality in the original X-Men comics is basically the girl. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and Dennis Hopeless uh, gives a lot of motivation to her character and it's pretty great. And again, it's just a self-contained story that um, is really awesome. And I think you should read it. I think you should um, just go to YouTube and listen to the theme song from the nineties cartoon. Cause it is still banging. Still great. Still amazing. Uh, the 90s cartoon is on Hulu if you 
did not watch that growing up on Saturday mornings, it is still fantastic. I mean, it's really cheesy and and fantastic. I still love it. And um, here's a real quick sidebar, which I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, and we'll talk a lot more about this next time. Um, but Renata and I saw X3 together in theaters when it came out, and it was obviously garbage. The worst. And our solution to having seen it and it being garbage was, I believe, on the way home, maybe not on the way home, very shortly thereafter seeing it, we went to the video store and rented every X-Men cartoon video that they had. <laughs> This is such an old story. We went, we drove to the family video. <laughs> we, we rented the VHS cassettes. <laughs> we viewed them. <laughs> we rewinded them before we brought them back so we wouldn't be hit with a fine. <laughs> oh. but, uh, but you kids today, you've got them much easier. Just fire up the old Hulu. You got it. <laughs> Um, I'm also, I'll throw out two more comics. One is X-Men 92 by Chris Sims and Chad Bowers, which is part of Secret Wars, which I, I didn't really like Secret Wars. I find it confusing and weird, but I did really like X-Men 92 because it is just sort of a return to the, the characters of the animated series. And that's basically also the characters of this comic. And it's just like goofy and weird and fun. And then... Uh, I'll also recommend the all-new X-Factor from a couple years ago by Peter David, who wrote some of these comics in Executioner Song with art by Carmen de something Italian, Gian Domenico. And it's it's really weird and fun. It's The premise is instead of X-Factor being the government's team, they're basically run by the equivalent of Google. They're like a corporate superhero team. And uh, Gambit's in it, and if you didn't notice, I love Gambit. And he has all of his cats with him that he's taken to, like, Google headquarters, and I would just read a million pages of just that. But there's some other stuff that happens, but mostly it's that. It sounds amazing. It's pretty great. All right, Megan, did you have anything else you wanted to hype besides the 90s cartoon, which I definitely co-sign? Yeah, I wanted to throw out there the House of M storyline, written by Brian Michael Bendis, and I... I didn't jot down the art in it. There's a lot of people associated with it because it was a long arc, but um, that's really great. And really anything written by Chris Claremont, he's the guy who wrote a lot of the storylines that got turned into the movies. So he wrote Days of Future Past and the Dark Phoenix Saga. So especially if you're maybe like interested in X-Men and you've seen the movies, but you're not like ready to jump headfirst into the crazy continuity, those titles might be good because you could kind of pair it up with what you remember from the movies and at least keep yourself on track in terms of the big, the overarching plot. Yeah. Weirdly, I feel like Chris Claremont's eighties comics somehow feel less dated than these nineties ones do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, fashion wise in like the actual art, it's very, it it sticks out obviously as more dated, but the actual storylines are definitely more timeless and less, rooted in sort of the excess of the early 90s that's a kind way to put it (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh we'll have all of these and much more on our website worstbestsellers.com uh if you have specific questions or looking for recommendations of comics please tweet at us we'd love to talk to you about it for probably longer than you would like 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be like, okay, okay, no, I got it. Okay, and then you'll just mute us because we are still talking <laughs> <laughs> about all the comics that Gambit's cats are in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to our candy pairing where we'll suggest a candy to accompany this fine comics event. And I'll start. My, my candy pairing is uh, French Toast Crunch cereal, which is good to eat on Saturday mornings in the 90s, but now it's kind of hard to come by and mostly replace with cereals that are better for you. My candy pairing is also not exactly a candy. Um, it's a 90s Pizza Hut Kids personal pan pizza with X-Men collectible comic and VHS tape. Uh, a product of the bloated X-Men hype machine of the early 90s that churned out an endless amount of X-Men tie-in merchandise. It's not actually that good, but I would guiltily eat one anyway, even now, in an effort to get my hands on that sort of dumb collector's bullshit. It's made me really hungry for pizza, but I don't have enough book it stamps right now. You should have used your deer time more effectively. <laughs> I know, and you'd think at my job I would. <laughs> but I'm too busy telling people how the copier works. <laughs> you know you're a 90s kid, yes. <laughs> that last couple of sentences made any sense to you. <laughs> foot gum because first I remember that being like the shiz in the 90s where mm. everyone was like happy with it because it was so much gum <laughs> but then it has like no taste to it and you can't even handle that much gum in your gob at once anyway and that reminded me of this book because this book packs so many mutants and so many fights and really so many villains into it at once that I think the idea is like, it's everyone is all together and we're crossing over and you can read all these books. But then big chunks of it are just almost really too much to swallow. Yeah. And then it would take seven years to digest this book if you ate it. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> also, unless you were a time traveler. <laughs> oh, also Fruit by the Foot gum that came in like a neon plastic case, which would neatly fit in one of the pouches on your costume, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so now we will move on to our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where uh, Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine were if he were in this book a second time. And Because uh, <laughs> this is the first time we've played it that Wolverine has actually literally already been in this book, but... We've got some special rules for it. We'll work it out. And uh, Megan will say which of these would most improve the book or choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Has anyone ever chosen paper? A few times. Okay. A very few times. You know, go back into the archives and find that because I don't remember it. But. All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, most of it wouldn't change because it, because it is A plus brilliant 90s garbage and I love it. Uh, but he'd be Wolverine's boyfriend, obviously. So there'd be some asides throughout the book about how Wolvie was pissed that this mission was taking him away from date night. And there would also be a scene in the epilogue where uh, Wolvie and The Rock are relaxing in flannel shirts and they're drinking beer and watching a sport. <laughs> and uh, Wolvie would definitely feed The Rock some snacks off of his claws. Yes, the best. Hot. Uh, okay. Well, if 
So, obviously, Logan the Wolverine is already in this book. But for those of you who don't keep track in Marvel Comics, uh, there is now an all-new Wolverine, which is Laura Kinney, who is Wolverine's teenage girl clone, obviously. So I'll say that uh, if Laura Kinney, the all-new Wolverine, were in this, she would call upon her bro, Doctor Strange, to help with the techno-organic virus, and he would fix Charles with magic, because, sure... And thus, they would not have to take any favors from Apocalypse, which even though in this book it doesn't really seem to have any effect, it just seems like a general good policy is you shouldn't take favors from Apocalypse. Seems like that's probably going to come back to you at some point. So Charles would have his telepathy back a little bit sooner. I feel like uh, Laura would solve this problem a little bit quicker than Apocalypse did. And so he would have his telepathy back in time to help everybody on the moon figure out what was going on without Gene and Scott maybe having to have their child sacrificed again slash for the first time. But also Jubilee would still get to teach Charles how to rollerblade. And Laura would eat all of Logan's pork rinds with her claws while he was on the moon. Uh, you know, I think that I would have to go with Snicked on this one because... If this whole storyline was compressed into like one issue with the rollerblading and the pork rinds and uh, maybe can I negotiate with you a little bit? Can we keep the scene where uh, Scott daydreams about Psylocke and totally gets busted? Oh, sure. Because all um, that happens before. All that happened before. Uh, yeah. That, this. So if it was just one issue with, with that, then that would be like the greatest single issue in the history of comics. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. Although it did, I'm surprised um, because when I was reading the comic, all I could think of was that Bishop looked like The Rock to me. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> yeah. I could see that. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe in that storyline, it's Wolverine and Bishop as played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson that are boyfriends. And that's pretty appealing then at that point. That's but true. I'm going to have to go with Snake. And they have their little like romantic trip to the moon. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks for playing the Rock, Paper, Snick, the game where everyone wins. It's true. There are no losers except for paper, but who cares? <laughs> All right. So what did we think the moral of the story was? I would say the moral of the story is that time travel is really just an engine to propel soap operas forward. And backwards. Well, that too. <laughs> yes. Uh, we already kind of touched on it, but I thought the moral of the story was... Uh, don't bring a gun to a super-powered mutant fight. Um, just because I feel like those 90s characters, uh, Bishop and Cable, other than like the sort of soap opera mechanics of the plot, weren't super useful. The people who were useful in terms of fighting and doing things and solving problems were, surprise, surprise, the people with awesome superpowers. So let's focus on them. Uh, mine is, this is something we didn't get into, but there are a few different points in the series where characters gave sort of variations on Aaron Burr's advice to Alexander Hamilton, which is talk less, smile more. Uh, and so I would say that for me, the moral of the story is talk less, stab more. And now we'll move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte has the opportunity to share his thoughts on the book. You know what, Dorothy, I gotta say that you're right. This book probably would have been improved uh, if Gambit had had his cats in it. And I don't, 
I don't know why those were not always an integral part of his character because they are very important. I do think I have to disagree with you, though. Um, yes, Feral, the cat woman character, you know, was a cat woman, but I don't think that that means that she should have been in it anymore. I really was not interested in her at all, so. Dorothy, uh, first, big fan, longtime listener. Can't believe I get a chance to talk to you. I'm kind of fangirling about it. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that I think you're 100% correct, and let's let's have a spin-off crossover where Gambit's cats show up like in the Avengers and uh, with Spider-Man. Like, let's just get them going. Mm-hmm. And Black Panther also, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My, mind blown. <laughs> Renata already wrote that fan fiction uh, sequel. <laughs> did you actually write the story where everyone cat sits, where someone cat sits for everyone? I sure did, Kate. I sure did. Okay. It's available I wasn't on sure it was just the internet. <laughs> Threatened to do a lot, or if you actually did actually do it. I mean, knowing us, yes, anytime we threaten to do something, it pretty much happens. <laughs> yep, I followed through. Case in point, podcast. Mm-hmm. What I have not yet done that I've been wanting to do is start just, like, a Cats of the Marvel Universe Tumblr, and I really would, like, or I really I want someone else to do that so I can follow it, but maybe I'll do it if no one else will. All right, well, uh, Duarte, thank you so much for sharing your opinions. Very insightful, as always. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, I thought that it was very interesting that they make two references throughout the book to like, oh, you know, the Inhumans are on the moon. So we, they specifically send Quicksilver with one of the teams because they're like, oh, well, the last known base of whoever was on the moon and, you know, the Inhumans are there and and they're your people. So you can kind of like talk to them if you have to. But then once they're actually on the moon doing all of these like crazy things and making it shake with all of their fights, the Inhumans never are mentioned again or show up. That's true. I mean, that's pretty much like what happens in Marvel Comics is it's like, oh, everyone was busy that day. Anytime there's a fight anywhere that no one else comes to. Well, like the filing cabinet, right? Was there a separate Inhumans comic at this time? I'm not sure. I I don't think so, just because the Inhumans, I don't know a lot about the Inhumans. I know they've never been like particularly popular, except for, you know, recently when... Marvel was trying to make them the next big thing because they don't have the film rights to the X-Men. Mm. Fair. <laughs> All right, yeah, I mean, my closing thought is basically just uh, I like the cartoon better than this, but it was fun. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we pretty much nailed it, and I'm kind of hyped now to see what the 2016 vision of Apocalypse is going to be now, having read this and seeing him sort of the half-baked version, or... I mean, fully conceptualized, but literally half-baked and <laughs> underpowered. So it'll be interesting to go watch that movie and, and kind of compare and contrast. Well, the movie one is Oscar Isaac, so it's already a billion times better. Yes. And then plus probably some other reasons that we'll find out very soon when the movie comes out. Yay! <laughs> I'm more excited every day. <laughs> All right. Well, Megan, thanks so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Um, you can follow us as a podcast on Twitter. We're Worst Bestseller with no S. 
we lost the S in a crossover event. It was very sad. <laughs> uh, you can also like us on Facebook where we're the worst bestseller spelled normally. You can find us on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you do listen to us and subscribe to us through either of those venues, if you could leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. It kind of pops us up in the stats so more people can find us and listen to us. And if you don't leave a review, we're going to have to send your past child who was sent to the future in order to recuperate from a future disease back to the past to confront you with a giant gun and make you do it anyway. (laughs) Uh, You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 across. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Megan Condis, uh, spelled just like it sounds. Uh, And also I blog uh, on megancondis.wordpress.com where I ruin pop culture, and I also uh, am an amateur video game developer. So if you want to play some games for free and leave some feedback, then you can check me out there. And we'll have links to that at our website, worstbestsellers.com. We'll be back at you in two weeks. We're continuing our X-Men theme, and this time we're reading the movie novelization of X3, which was written by Chris Claremont, and we are... Super excited to talk about that. So excited. (laughs) (laughs) Until then, uh, we'll be in exile for the next two weeks. And uh, what's some more X words? Uh, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) X-Men. Bye. Sorry, I was so excited I knocked over my microphone.